Welcome to One on One. My name is Stephen Sloan. I am the mole in the Costello crime family. And joining me live from the nation's capital, my very own brother Mick. How you doing, bro, bro? I'm doing well. I, it's true. I am joining you from about literally 10 minutes from the nation's capital. Um, and we've we had a lot of snow last week, and it's kind of just caused everyone to like lose their freaking minds. As um, they do. Yeah, so so my favorite, like, uh, every time I go into D.C. for any reason, I see some, like, strange people-watching experience. Uh, and yesterday, I was waiting for a metro line, um, the orange line, to anyone who knows the D.C. metro. Ah, uh, yes, the classic orange line. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and in any event, uh, five different trains went through that were specifically no passenger i think they were testing the track or something or the trains because of the snow um and there was a huge like loudspeaker announcement that said this train is not for passengers when it pulls in please do not board it and the train didn't have any lights on either (laughs) and despite the announcement and the blacked out train lights like 12 people people tried to get on right not 12 people everyone on the platform except for me tried to get on board (laughs) to the point where the conductor started flashing the lights and over the loudspeaker said, this is not for passengers. <laughs> so that, no, we were just lying to you the first time. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's right. So that's the pulse in the nation's cap. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's like you, you get like a half a just snow and the entire like Southeastern part of the United States just loses their minds. And DC <laughs> is certainly no, uh, no exception to that. It, it gets pretty rough. It's true. So, uh, but the reason that we're that we've decided to become, uh, I don't know, the hundred thousandth pair of brothers who decided to record a podcast is uh, we we spend a lot of time, you and I, and also like with basically all of our friends, we like to talk about sort of between two things, what's better, and we do this a lot with movies and with actors and with songs and bands and athletes all the time. Yeah, pretty much uh, literally anything that you can compare, we will attempt to compare it. Yeah, and uh, and every so often you run into um, someone who will say, oh, well, there's really no comparing those two things. They're totally different. And uh, I personally have never really bought into that because even if there's no like definitive answer, and most of the stuff we'll talk about on this podcast will not have a definitive right or wrong answer, uh, it always leads to some kind of interesting discussion. And that's sort of what we're hoping to tap into with this. Yeah, like a final arbitrary, like, this is better than that is not what we're going for here. It's really about, you know, starting off just talking about two things that we really enjoy or respect and sort of seeing what interesting things lie underneath that comparison. So I I think that we've I think we've danced around it a lot. What are we talking about today? We are talking about two of, in my opinion, uh, the best actors of their generation, the gentlemen who are opposite one another in The Departed, hence the reference at the beginning, Leo DiCaprio and Matt Damon, because these two also happen to be in a heated best actor race in this year's uh, Oscars. And, uh, and I'm just a huge fan of these two. They might be my favorite actors of all time. It may... Or there's a lot of other people in the conversation, but for me, that conversation has to start with those two. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted us to talk about Damon in comparison to DiCaprio, other than someone else, was 
around September, I guess it was, before The Martian came out, um, I asked my mom, actually, whether she was going to see The Martian, and her response was something along the lines of, ugh, no, like, that looks awful. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm sure I'm sure that she would be so happy that I'm selling her out on the podcast right now. Yeah, but... first episode. Way to go. <laughs> We're already making first, records. First five minutes of the podcast. But in any event, and I said, well, you know, Matt Damon's in it, so it probably won't be bad. Like, he never does, he never really does bad work. And her response was, Matt Damon's kind of overrated. He's, you know, he's very likable, but he kind of always plays himself. And I was shocked by that. And I came to realize when people were so surprised by sort of the heavyweight Oscar caliber performance he gave in The Martian, I feel like he's not stacked up against the generational like acting talents like Leonardo DiCaprio, when really I think he belongs in that conversation. Well, yeah, because, I mean, if you ask anybody who the best actor of, of their generation is, I mean... I don't necessarily know that he would definitely be the leader in the clubhouse, but DiCaprio is the first name that comes to mind for a lot of people. Yeah. So much so that it's a joke that he hasn't gotten an Academy Award yet. I mean, think of any other actor where that would be the case. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and one thing that was amazing about the Revenant trailer, which, by the way, I think I must have seen in one form or another about 85,000 times, yeah, if you put end to end the number of times that we saw the Revenant trailer, it it's probably I watched it about as long as it took to make the Revenant. Which, which as we all know, it took forever and it was quite an arduous <laughs> filming process. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and and the joke wrote itself. I mean, people saw that trailer and they were just like, Leo wants his Oscar and he wants it bad, guys. Like he's crawling through the dirt and the snow in like Calgary or something. It's like yeah, can you imagine what what the conversation between the uh, between his agent and the academy was this year? He's like, "Please, man, get my guy this uh, get my guy this Oscar. He's gonna kill himself. Next time, he's gonna literally get shot into space, and we're you're never gonna have Leo again." Yeah, he's, they'll just be like, "You're not gonna have Leo DiCaprio to kick around anymore." Because yeah, it's um, it's ridiculous. Every every movie he does now, he's he's gone further and further uh, off the reservation in order to get that uh, get that award. But in any event, uh, so I I think that this debate between Damon and DiCaprio is closer than is closer than a lot of people realize. Um, we actually are both huge fans of both guys. Yeah, this was a and... tough. Um, a tough choice who was gonna do who yeah ultimately we flipped a coin and uh you ended up with dicaprio and i ended up with damon and i was actually secretly pretty happy about that but yeah uh so i invite you to make your case in i don't know a couple minutes just why dicaprio well yeah i mean when i when i started thinking about this uh the thing that really came to mind for me was uh really a pair of things one Think of how many iconic roles DiCaprio has played over, over his career. I mean, you go so far even as like Inception, Dom Cobb. Like that is a guy who, you know, he's memed to oblivion. He's referenced everywhere. It's such a memorable role. And then you look at something like obviously Titanic. He's, he's maybe one of the biggest heartthrob roles of all time. And then he can play that so convincingly. He can play one of the the literary titanic or no pun intended titanic characters of the literature uh jay gatsby um which i don't think enough people uh, appreciated how good he was in that movie 
and then he can equally convincingly play Calvin Candy from uh, from Django Unchained. And I at no point do I watch him and do I think that's Leo DiCaprio doing this. Like he, as famous as he is and as well known as he is, he's he's able to disappear into roles in a way that's just it's it's just incredible. Uh, and I think you look at so many other actors, and Damon I think suffers from this. Uh, you're never not aware that you're watching Matt Damon in space, right? And that, I think, is what solidifies DiCaprio as the best of his generation because he's so famous and yet, and he's so, like, he's so visible as a person. And yet, whenever he does any acting, and I can't think of a bad performance he's ever given, he, he always manages to get lost in his role in a way that feels very organic. So uh, what you got for the counterpoint for Matt Damon? Let me, let me tell you something about Matt Damon. Every single movie that has ever been made and that will ever be made could be made better if Matt Damon was involved in some way. <laughs> and and allow me to explain why. Do you need a gripping do you need a gripping drama about someone dealing with his past trauma and then coming to really understand and embrace his gifts? Oh, okay. Can I interest you in Matt Damon, star of Goodwill Hunting? He can even write the script for you if you want him for. If you want him to. Can, or would you like an action star who can, may, who can make just beating up every single person ever look e- extremely believable and do it with like a sort of brooding like smile on his face? How about Born Identity megastar Matt Damon? <laughs> or maybe you need someone who want, who needs to be just super cool and quippy and rob a casino. Ocean's Eleven Matt Damon at your service. He also was in True Grit, where he played a cowboy who was constantly just getting fooled by the other cowboys. One of my he favorite roles played, by him, by the way. Yeah. He also played an astronaut where he was stuck in space. And <laughs> he was on Mars by himself, acting totally by himself. No like, no co-stars on screen with him, except for maybe literally five minutes of the movie. And then, it, it, like to add it up, you could even go further into his filmography. He, a lot of people forget that he was nominated for an Oscar six years ago for Invictus, where he played a rugby star, like the, mo- the most famous South African rugby player of all time. And A, he hit an incredibly difficult accent, and B, he played a professional <laughs> athlete. That's not easy to do. Two things with which uh, Leo has uh, historically struggled. Yeah, yeah, well, we can get into Leo's accent thing later. But, but here's the thing about Matt Damon. He can do anything you need him to do. He can be the lead of your movie and, in fact, the cornerstone of your franchise like he was with the Bourne movies. But he can also kind of carry a more a more bookish type of movie, sort of like uh, he made a movie about fracking um, called Promised Land, which he actually wrote as well. And he was just this guy who learns about how uh, who learns about how fracking for natural gas is destroying the environment. Uh, and he can convincingly play that type of role. And then, uh, and he can also just give you real, uh, just very subtle but engaging supporting roles. Like the way he was in, he's in Interstellar for about 10 minutes. And even though he's probably the most famous person in the movie, he totally blends right in with everyone else. So I just, I think it's incredibly valuable because I can't think of a role that he can't convincingly play. That that's something um, that you have to give him credit for that uh, DiCaprio, I, I don't think could ever do, 
and that's his his ability as a supporting actor. If, if Leo's in your movie, he is the focal point of the movie, and I don't necessarily think that's a personality thing on his part. I just think he's such a big presence and he's such a talented actor. You almost actively feel like he's being wasted if he's not uh, the main character, and that's certainly something that's very uh, valuable about Damon. Because Damon, you're right, can sort of show up in a movie for 10 minutes and be really engaging and give a good performance but you don't necessarily you're not upset that you don't see more of him in the same way yeah i mean i i think of actually there's i did some well actually i'm kind of amazed at how little research i had to do to really get into the depths of matt damon movies because i've seen like most of them it seems like uh he was in this movie back in i guess i think it was like 2000 or 2002 uh, called Finding Forrester, which is about this... Uh, the prequel this... to uh, Finding Nemo. Exactly. Yeah, but it's about this New York basketball star, um, this high schooler who has a secret passion for writing, and he ends up getting mentored by this like reclusive, almost like a J.D. Salinger type, uh, played by Sean Connery. And spoiler alert to the people who haven't or who want to avoid spoilers for this 16-year-old movie that I don't think many people saw anyway. Uh, Sean Connery's character dies and the main character gets this news in the form of an attorney, an estate attorney played by Matt Damon, who was famous at the time. <laughs> and yet the director just said, "You know who's a really charming, like intelligent-seeming guy who could probably play a lawyer for 5 minutes? Matt Damon." He's in one scene, and he just lends this instant added credibility to the movie with his presence. Yeah, and there there aren't, frankly, there aren't a lot of actors who could do that. Like I'm trying to think of an example of somebody who can who can be in a in a role, and not be distracting. Somebody on Damon's level, obviously. There's a lot of people who who can, but in Damon's level of fame and talent, yeah, that's a very rare it's a very rare ability. But it, it kind of, it lends itself to sort of the fundamental difference between the two as actors and kind of as public figures, the way that they control their image. What I find really interesting, I sort of return to, we can go to The Departed, which is sort of the movie that inspired this entire debate. That and the Oscar race. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Matt Damon is unquestionably, if not the villain in that movie, certainly a villain. I mean, he's basically... He's ostensibly a member of the police force who willingly sends his fellow officers into danger to protect his his payoffs from this mob boss, which is uh, Jack Nicholson and his his New Yorker take on a famous Boston crime lord. And also maybe even as importantly, because that's that's certainly that character has been played sympathetically. But then spoiler, you know, spoilers again for a, a nine year old movie. Um He's just as quick to just cap his his mob boss when he realizes it's more professionally advantageous for him to do that. So he really has he's not beholden to anybody. Yeah. And then that's that's ultimately the character. There's nothing particularly like theatrically villainous about the character. Yeah. He's just he's a guy who's always looking to take the easy way out and who will do whatever it takes to put himself in the situation that's most advantageous for him. And um if you compare that to sort of the villainous, quote-unquote, roles that you'd see DiCaprio play, which, for the record, there aren't a large number of them, he's villainous in this very theatrical kind of way. 
So what what comes to mind is probably the most evil character he's ever played was uh, Calvin Candy from Django Unchained. Yeah, um, murderous, uh, psychotic slave owner is going to be tough to top uh, in terms of villainy. Yeah, like like a murderous, like incredibly racist slave owner who the his entire purpose of appearing in the movie is to buy an African American man to make fight to the death with other African American men. So it's 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 the pinnacle of evil in American history is the tyrannical slave owner. And uh and he's not in the movie until probably I don't know, I want to say like 5 hours into it cuz that's an incredibly <laughs> yeah. long movie. No, but it is. But, it's got to be in the second hour. Yeah. That yeah, it comes but in he, for the first time when he is in that movie for probably a good 40 to 50 minutes, he completely dominates it. Yeah. Well, this is why, um, this is why when that supporting actor race happened between him and the obviously great Christoph Waltz, I was kind of upset that, that Waltz beat him because I mean, DiCaprio just hijacked that movie and that's the sort of thing that he can do, but he didn't, he did it in a very, um, organic and, and actorly way. He didn't, he didn't sort of, rip it from the other actors he just by by being as great and as magnetic and as horrifying as he was he he completely took over that movie um and for me that's that's the problem with dicaprio as a supporting actor but it's also indicative of just how incredible he is this is um and it actually i think it kind of comes back to the root of how we think of dicaprio as a person I mean, he, he obviously has extensive uh, an extensive humanitarian track record. He seems like a very genuinely good person who wants to use his position of stardom to make the world better. Yeah, but above all, he's a capital M movie star. Yeah, and, and he if you ask anyone to name two things about him, he makes great movies and he hooks up with supermodels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, it's, it's gotten to a sort of just... Im- possible like mythical kind of way like i remember reading a story about how i guess he left a club by himself no other guys were with him and 20 supermodels and it's just that that doesn't seem like something a real person in the real world does well you know he was just gonna have a a a big old uh cards against humanity party yeah, or, or maybe they watch Sixteen Candles and and he braided all of their hair. I mean, I I don't want to make <laughs> every I, single one of them. Every single one. It took several hours. Uh, I don't want to make any salacious allegations against against DiCaprio or to be like puritanical in in denouncing his life choices. But that doesn't change the fact that it, like, have it you is, have you. Are you aware of 20 supermodels? Like, could you name 20 supermodels? No. I mean, I, I know Giselle because of Tom Brady, and I know Chrissy Teigen because of John Legend, and, like, I, like I'm blanking right now. I'm, I'm sure I know plenty more, but... But that's... My point is that, yeah. like, between us, we probably couldn't name 20 yeah. supermodels. Leo DiCaprio went home with 20 supermodels. That's the yeah. kind of mythical fame that he's at. Yeah, and... um. And I think that that really reflects in the kind of roles he gets. I can't think off the top of my head of the last time DiCaprio played a normal person with like a normal problem or a normal conflict in his life. Um, would you count Revolutionary Road? No, that's I probably count. about as close as he's gotten in a long time. 
I, I wouldn't count Revolutionary Road because he's barely even a person in that movie. He's a symbol of the lie of the American dream, which is about as weighty as it gets. Like, <laughs> yeah. And also, like in that movie, it's not a situation of like, it's not like a traditional domestic drama where it's like, you're you're working too much and you're like doing your or like someone can't have a baby or it's like his marriage in that movie fails in just the most catastrophically spectacular way yeah yeah but yeah, yeah that's, i think it, it says a lot about him that i'm yeah. looking through his filmography and that's that's about as um real worldy normal as as he's gotten yeah maybe I in mean, his, his entire career yeah, because, like, his, his... I mean, he plays a relatively normal guy in The Departed, but it's also, like, he also plays a guy who's in the middle of this incredible, like, dramatic crime sting, basically. So that's not a relatable role. Yeah. And, um, and like, he's played... He's played Jay Gatsby, whose entire persona in the book is that he's just this too-good-to-be-true, like, mysterious person who throws these unbelievable parties. It's like, Jay Gatsby's parties probably aren't as fun as the parties Leonardo DiCaprio could throw. Yeah, and there probably aren't as many uh, wide-sweeping helicopter shots in uh, Gatsby's parties either. Although I guess there could be. It's possible DiCaprio is building this incredible, like, uh, documentary of his life. I think it but, would be really funny yeah. if he just went full Gatsby. He like after he retired from acting, he just like retired to Long Island and just built a giant mansion and had huge parties. Yeah. But um but the thing about the thing about DiCaprio is that's not just the way that like an average everyday person views DiCaprio. He has that type of larger than life reputation within Hollywood too. And we know this because, for example, Leonardo DiCaprio was in Inception, which is a fantastic movie, and he's great in it. Uh, But I think what a lot of people might not know about that is that was his first collaboration with Christopher Nolan. After Nolan had been trying for years and years to get DiCaprio in one of his movies. Um, And I, I just think that's amazing because... It's interesting to see that dynamic flip where this incredibly successful director, and at that time Nolan had done two Batman movies and was like just lauded as this fantastic director, and he still needed to really sell DiCaprio to be in this movie. And to see that kind of... The same thing happened two years later with, uh, with Quentin Tarantino and Django Unchained. Um... Tarantino wanted to get DiCaprio in Inglorious Bastards to play uh, the the main villain who Christoph Waltz ended up playing, and DiCaprio ended up saying no. So this guy can turn down any director he wants, and they'll still come back to him because he just has that type of clout and he has that ki- type of cachet. Yeah, it's it's hard to um, it's hard exactly to overstate how rare that is yeah and and it's amazing because you see a lot of directors make some of their best this is actually true for both actors really because um uh dicaprio inception i think is christopher nolan's best movie i certainly think it's his most inventive and interesting from a oh yeah from a a visual and from a writing standpoint and he I think that the script has that real emotional resonance in part because DiCaprio really pushed Nolan to make uh, the main character's emotional journey and getting over the trauma of losing his wife. He wanted that to be the emotional fulcrum of the movie. And uh, 
and he he did the same thing. I mean, think of what he did for Martin Scorsese. He's been in now, I think, four Martin Scorsese movies, and he has he has introduced Martin Scorsese to a new generation of people. I mean, Scorsese before Gangs of New York, he was he was basically on the decline uh, after. Yeah, he was he'd sort of made his biggest hits. He'd made Raging Bull. Yeah. He'd made, uh, he'd made uh goodfellas and yeah i think you know he was kind of getting up there in years and i think the prevailing wisdom was this is a director who's who's on the way down yeah and then he bounces back with the only movie of his that's won the academy yeah yeah and uh, the departed and yeah he also had um he also had the aviator which was the howard hughes biopic that a bunch of other directors wanted that's right and actually in a weird intersection of history, Christopher Nolan wanted to direct The Aviator. And when they gave it to Scorsese instead, he basically said, okay, fine, I guess I'll just direct this Batman Begins thing. Yeah, so that's a, an interesting twist. of Yeah, we, we, the only reason we don't have Christopher Nolan, or the only reason we have Christopher Nolan's Batman is because, uh, is because Scorsese said, I want to do this Howard Hughes thing. So you're saying uh, basically that... that- by extension, with a little bit of logical leaping, Leo DiCaprio saved Batman. Yeah, he did save Batman. That, that's exactly Leo DiCaprio gave us Batman. And it's funny because one of the things people talk about him a lot is he's never really done that kind of franchise movie. They've clearly never seen Revolutionary <laughs> But he still, he still gave us, he gave us Batman. So, No shots to Revolutionary Road, by the way. I think that's one of... Uh, one of Leo's most underrated performances in movies. It's it's a great movie, and I also can't recommend that you see it because it'll seriously it'll bum you out. Yeah, it is literally one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen. It's uh, and um, it's actually by Sam Mendes, who was married to Kate Winslet, who I think has always sort of viewed Leo as her soulmate. So, yeah. So yeah, so so him him directing him directing his own wife because Winslet's in that movie too. Him directing his own wife and DiCaprio playing a married couple that eventually comes to hate each other. I don't know if that was some sort of bizarre like therapeutic exercise for Sam Mendes, but yeah, he yeah. was just he was making yeah. sure that uh, Kate and Leo knew where they stood yeah, with but... each other. It was it was sort of like. Uh, it was like Kubrick with eyes wide shut. Oh no, we—that's we, down the rabbit hole. We can we can save yeah, we can bit. save Kubrick for. Well, I don't really have anything interesting to say about Kubrick, but maybe we can use him yeah. for a different podcast. Yeah, neither of us are super Kubrick heads. I'm I'm sorry to the yeah. twenty thousand listeners we just lost. But the, so now we're at just to keep track. We're now at negative twenty thousand. It's listeners. true. We really took a big hit by alienating the Kubrick base um uh but no uh, i think what's sort of fitting is um we're forgetting uh we're forgetting one half of the podcast here poor uh poor maddie damon's been out in the cold i feel like uh jimmy uh jimmy Kimmel. oh oh don't worry i didn't forget about matt damon so we spent a lot of time talking about dicaprio and how a big part of his a big part of his career is as this incredible larger than life movie star like capital m movie star yeah which um you mentioned uh that it's sort of as a result of the roles he's selected, or, or at least it affects the roles he selects. Where I would say, you know, that it's as much a, a part of, a part of it is he picked roles. I don't know deliberately if he did this, but, you know, he, he sort of constructed that image too. 
as much as it affects him now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I just think it's interesting how it's it's almost feels cyclical to me. Like DiCaprio can't play normal roles because it's hard to imagine being like, oh, that DiCaprio, he's just like me. Like I hate it when the boss takes my parking space away, and so does DiCaprio <laughs> in this movie I just made up. But by virtue of that, but, side sidebar. Yeah. You know Martin Scorsese takes Leo's uh, parking spot like 12 times a month, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he's probably the only one who could do it. Like if like if Christopher Nolan took his parking spot in Inception. Well, what are we talking about parking spot? DiCaprio doesn't park his own car. That's true, yeah. DiCaprio, yeah. DiCaprio has several. But I think we, that's, that's what uh, that sort of speaks to what, what we're sort of dancing around. I, I don't think for a moment that Matt Damon doesn't park yeah. his own car wherever yeah, he goes. We, like, he seems like one of those guys who drives up to a fancy restaurant. They're like, sir, please, it's valet only. And he's like, no, don't worry. I will park my own car. Right. Take the night off. And so, um, yeah, well, exactly. And also, we all know that, uh, that Tobey Maguire parks Leonardo DiCaprio's car for him. What up, Golden Globes appearance? What up, Spider-Man? <laughs> How does it feel to have your role recast twice? All right, we're not getting into. That's Spider-Man. a whole other story. We're not getting into Spider-Man. Uh, no, but but yeah, but that, that's that is a that's a topic that is too dark even for our podcast. I, I hinted at it earlier when I said that Matt Damon can be in any movie, and I think that that sort of is because he has a lot of authenticity to his public persona. Like, when you see him interviewed, you're just like, oh, this guy could be saying this exact same thing to me while we're, like, having a beer at a bar somewhere. Which, like, dream come true, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. but a lot of that has sort of just come very naturally to him. He's from Boston, the Boston area, which is, you know, as as just, like, a background, both or both sides of our family is from New England. So we definitely have at least a taste of what the Boston personality and Boston culture is like. And it's very provincial and it's very much based on authenticity where you're either them or you're not. And so I think that kind of shaped Damon. I I feel like he's never really he's never really tried to put on a mask and be a different person. He's never really tried to hide who he was. You'll see him at like Red Sox games, like just in the stands doing normal stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, he's the kind of guy who shows up to interviews wearing baseball caps. Like, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. And, and he's he's very proud for of comparison uh, for comparison. And I think you're right. This their upbringing does have a lot to do with it. DiCaprio is Hollywood born. And yeah, born. very, very California. Cool. You can just picture it. Damon probably has the least famous wife of almost any incredibly successful Hollywood star. I would think she's not from the industry at all. Like a lot of times, if an if an actor doesn't marry another actor, they'll marry a writer or a producer or something like that, or at least mm-hmm. like a very successful business person. But Damon married a bartender who he met in uh, in Miami whilst he was filming Stuck on You, <laughs> which I think it's safe to say the only good thing that came out of Stuck on Yeah, you. yeah. Well, that's and that's the only mention you'll hear of that movie on this podcast today, except for this uh, one. I think Damon would agree with me uh, in saying that that was the only good thing that came from Stuck. Yeah, on yeah. But in any event, um, and and that's really just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, obviously, he married a very normal person with a very normal job, and. Um, you know, he, he talks about how much he loves his sports team. Even when he does something like Project Greenlight, it's sort of a recognition that he understands that really 
that fame is a very is a very difficult thing to come and a lot of it does come from you know getting your break so i think it's interesting that one of the ways he gives back to to others is obviously aside from his humanitarian efforts he also has that sort of vehicle to give people their break yeah and you appreciate that um exactly that in a very direct way you know he's almost um with dicaprio you feel like dicaprio just sort of rose out of nothing you know he was a kid who acted all up through his childhood and he just appeared in um i guess titanic as this this fully formed star well and and Um, romeo and juliet the year before yeah and so dicaprio you don't get the sense of the hollywood system from him he seems like this guy who exists above and apart from it whereas damon i think you're right with with project greenlight he's sort of acknowledging the way that most acting breaks happen which is you're given a shot and you make the best of your opportunity and in fact i think it's an interesting part of his legacy that damon wrote his big break i mean his first big movie was goodwill hunting and the reason that he wrote that movie was literally he and he and Ben Affleck were basically hanging out, probably watching the Sox, and we're just like, yeah, you know, isn't it a bummer that we can't get good movie roles? What if we wrote a movie and we were the stars? And that if there's if yeah. there's any like if there's any greater like version of the American dream in any Hollywood actor story, I don't know what's better than writing your own big break. Um, but it, and also when you talk about Damon and his everyman type of persona, it goes even deeper than than just the way he got his start or the people he marries or the way he spends his like the teams he roots for. He also he went to Harvard. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Matt Damon went to Harvard. How did I not? Know I don't that? know. He uh, he didn't graduate, but he apparently got pretty close to graduating, and he only dropped out because. I want to say it was School Ties, which is a movie I haven't seen, but it was one of his first like major. Or it was one of his first leading roles. That's great. Well, yeah, I think that's that speaks to to what Damon has done with his his public persona. Like with some guys, like you watch and you're like, oh yeah, that dude totally went to an Ivy League school. But you know, Damon, I assume you know he went to like Boston area community college, and <laughs> he just sort of like puttered around as an actor for a while until he broke out that's crazy and it, and it is funny how um it actually kind of lends some interesting true life uh true life flavoring to goodwill hunting his probably his most famous scene in that movie is when he just totally like basically takes a dump on this douchey harvard guy who's talking about all <laughs> yeah. the things he learned about like colonial history so I, I feel like when in reality he is the douchey Harvard, or guy. at the very least, he definitely like he definitely got rejected from a finals club by one of them. Oh um, yeah, I'm sure. yeah. Which, by the way, thank you to the Social Network for teaching me what uh, <laughs> what finals clubs were. Information you will use for the rest Every, of your life. Everything sure. I learned about elite Ivy League culture, I learned from movies. But what's amazing <laughs> yes. is even though he went to Harvard and going to Harvard is sort of Harvard's this incredibly like elite academic institution. The fact that he went there kind of orients him in a world that normal everyday people can understand. Because everyone who went to high school and everyone who wanted to like who was apply, who applied to college and went to college understood what it would mean to go to harvard and how like if you if you go to harvard it sort of it lends this sort of testament to your to your aptitude and your intelligence so yeah there's that that cachet that comes with saying you went and so it's really and yet despite that because he achieved something so many of us can imagine aspiring for 
it sort of makes it possible to imagine him doing normal things. Like I could, I could imagine Matt Damon watching a political debate and being like, Oh, which person do I vote for? Or reading a newspaper or reading long form journalism about ISIS or doing his own taxes. And Matt Damon definitely doesn't do his own taxes, but no, he definitely has an army of people who get him all of the, the write-offs and everything, but, but but you can, you can imagine him like throwing on the smart people glasses that he wears sometimes just sitting down at his mahogany desk and, and knocking out some, uh, knocking out some W. Yeah. And and if Matt Damon's next movie was him playing like an auditor, he he would be a very handsome auditor, but I would still most buy exciting it. movie. Of I all would time. still buy auditor, it. Yeah. The movie. I f- no, yeah, you're right. I would buy yeah, it. Yeah, and um, and it goes even his probably most larger than life role is probably the Bourne movies because he plays this unbelievable like super spy. But the and by the way, he literally could not be more understated than that. Well, movie. yeah, well, because the entire point of the movie. Is that he? He's playing someone who can't comprehend the things he knows how to do. So he, with his authenticity and his sort of everyman public persona, lends a lot of weight to when he beats up like a cop and then just stands there. Is like, oh my god, what did I just do? Like, how can I do these things? Yeah. So yeah, and so I think that that's it's really just an interesting way of how public persona and image can reflect itself in your movie roles and vice versa. And I think it all just becomes a cycle. And it's reached a point where Matt Damon is incredibly is incredibly believable in any role he deigns to play. But it, DiCaprio, all of his all of his roles center on some sort of Titanic struggle. And in literally, no pun intended. yeah, well, except pun intended, because. The normalist, humblest character he played was a poor guy who seduces a rich girl on the most famous ocean liner in history. Like, and he's literally struggling against the sinking of the Titanic. In Romeo and Juliet, it's this Titanic love story that's... I keep using Titanic. It's amazing. Yeah. Let's let's ease yeah. up on the boat puns there, Yeah, buddy. but he's, he's... And then in... In uh, when he played Howard Hughes, he played this incredible, like, reclusive mystery man. Yeah, who liked to make Titanic airplanes. In in The Departed, the, his most incredible work in that are when he's getting like his broken hand smashed or he's screaming at somebody. He so he lends he's a very yeah. he's a very showy and theatrical actor and I don't mean that in a bad way because he plays those type of theatrical roles more convincingly than any other actor working right now. Yeah, if we've learned nothing from the career of Leo DiCaprio, it's that nobody yells like Leo DiCaprio. It's true, yeah. yeah it's... And he does. He, he manages to find a way in, like, every movie he's in yeah. to yell at somebody about something. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, like, there's a great, um, there's a scene in, uh, in Inception. He's sort of this very emotionally damaged person who doesn't really express himself. And then, of course, they have the scene where his wife, spoiler alert, um, jumps out of a window and he just shrieks and it's incredible it's this incredibly richly moving thing so so yeah but at, at the end of the day you're looking at two different incredibly different types of actors and what i think is the value of damon is that he can play a sort of theatrical showy type of scene like in the martian where he actually where he gets a major setback and is screaming in agony but he can also play the kind of understated thing where he's just an accountant or he's a lawyer and he's just hanging out. Well, he's definitely between the two of them. He's the only one I could imagine just typing 
swear words onto uh, the internet when he's talking to NASA just because he can yeah. and he's mad. I, I would never believe DiCaprio would do that. But but Damon just he, he has that like that's something that like a normal person yeah. would do when presented with that. Yeah, situation. he's just like and, and that's that's what he does so well. Yeah, and he he's just like, Okay, whatever, I'll just stick it to NASA. Like, oh America's watching yeah. this America's watching my chat, like I'm gonna piss you guys off because it's funny. So one yeah. thing that we wanted yeah. to do was to uh when we're comparing two people who are in the same field of some kind um yeah whether that's uh, acting or sports or whatever we end up talking about that week yeah to think about for example if we're comparing two athletes what would happen if they switch teams or if uh if there are two actors who are in a movie at similar points in their careers to picture what would happen if they had switched and were cast in each other's movie and uh shout out to to bill simmons podcasting pioneer for this idea yeah one of our great uh one of our great inspirations as fledgling podcasters exactly exactly um so this is particularly interesting with damon and dicaprio because they were in the same movie uh the departed in which they played people who were on opposite sides of the law so it's funny to think about what would happen if they had been cast in separate in or in each other's roles and uh i definitely think if they switch it makes the movie worse and it doesn't really say anything about one actor or the other. Just that I think Damon, there's nothing particularly like theatrically evil about the character Damon plays, Colin Sullivan, as much as just he's ultimately just a dick who wants yeah. to always put himself in the situation that's best for him. Yeah, he's always taking the easy way out. Basically. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, DiCaprio is really the tragic figure in the movie. To yeah. the point where he's being repeatedly put in danger by the by the police who are supposed to protect him as a citizen. There's like situations where he's like, I'm not going to wear a wire here. It's dangerous. Like they're going to kill me. And it just cuts to Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg just in a room being like, no, nah, but do that thing. Like, what are you, a coward? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Whereas you look at and and importantly, you know, he always ends up doing it. He always ends up doing what's best. But, uh, but yeah, and then you look at, at Damon and, I mean, he's he's throwing his his brothers on the force in, into certain death, basically. Um, and yet the second that it becomes more advantageous and easier for him just to cap Jack Nicholson, he does it. So yeah. he's not exactly, like, evil. He's He's basically just lazy. Yeah, and I would I would imagine that, I think, honestly... Based on the kind of roles they excel in, I feel like the story would have to be, the script at least, would have to be different for it to be a really cohesive movie if you switch them. Like, it's obviously, this is one situation where, in some cases, it's, it's interesting when people switch, but in this case, I think that, uh, that, that young upstart Martin Scorsese really got his casting right in this situation. Yeah, um, never, never really did it well before. Uh, yeah but, uh, Martin Scorsese just never a great never a great caster but this one he really nailed he finally got the magic right um but <laughs> but uh I think for example if DiCaprio plays the like rat the mob the mob guy I think that he would have to have more of this very dramatic arc and he would have to have this sort of like tortured history that prompted him to be bad 
Whereas, yeah. and I think if Damon plays Billy Costigan, who is the good cop, I think he's just, there's less tragedy there, there. And he's just a guy who's put in difficult situations and he keeps his head up because he's Matt Damon. And that's what Matt Damon does. Well, yeah, my, my favorite thing about, about Billy Costigan as a character um, comes directly from, from something that Leo is maybe the best at of any actor of his generation. And that's that sort of exposed wire electricity. You know how when, yeah. when you have a wire that's exposed, it doesn't look dangerous, but you know that it's dangerous. And then the second anything hits it, it just sparks. Yeah. That's sort of how, how uh, DiCaprio's costume is. And that's crucial to making that character work. Yeah. And it, it's a very interesting dramatic inversion, too, because in like in the big scene they have together where DiCaprio arrests Damon... In a lot of cases, particularly in crime fiction, when the hero kind of corners the villain, the villain's the one who's being all emotive and just screaming and losing his losing his mind. And the hero yeah. is just very cool, like walks away from the explosion type of guy. When really, yeah. when those two meet and when DiCaprio arrests Damon, Damon is kind of, or Damon is kind of trying to like calculate his way out of it. And DiCaprio is really just emoting and explosive and kind of losing. He's a man who's completely lost everything and all he wants is to take this guy down. Yeah. So, so yeah, but it's it's at least it's interesting to picture what that movie would have been like if they were switched. I love that movie and I think it's perfect the way that they cast it. Um, yeah, real good movie if you haven't seen yeah. it. If you haven't seen it, if you're one of the six people in the world who haven't seen that movie yet. And trust me, even though we spoiled almost the entire movie for you, it's still great even if you know what happens. And just And we just, we left a couple, we left a couple pretty big spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so. the, the biggest spoiler is the end of it. It ends with a close up of the state capitol building from like someone's apartment and on his balcony just a rat runs in front of like directly in the foreground of the state capitol and uh i guess that's marty scorsese being like we're all rats yeah martin scorsese great director incredible director so many great movies not the subtlest dude in the world yeah very heavy-handed with the symbolism on that but but yeah so that's yeah basically we've learned nothing uh DiCaprio and Damon, two great actors. We're no closer to deciding which one's better, uh, but we warned you at least that you knew that this was coming. Yeah, uh, we, you know, again to reiterate, not trying to come down and say yes, Leo DiCaprio is better or Matt Damon is better. Basically, they're two great actors, and they're two great actors who are great at different things. Yeah, and and you're you're in for a great couple hours if you throw on any of either of their movies. Really, I mean, they, it's yeah. just very high quality work. And they're both guys who, I was talking about this with DiCaprio, they really bring out the best in the people they're working with. I yeah. mean, like, Damon is in is one of many famous people in Ocean's Eleven, and that's probably Steven Soderbergh's, at least his best-known movie. And, it's uh, certainly his most enjoyable. Yeah. And if you think about DiCaprio was or um, Damon was obviously just in The Martian, and that's Ridley Scott's first really good movie since Gladiator, which is like 15 years ago. And by the way, I haven't read the book. I'm sure it's a great book and a great story. But if if Matt Damon is 80 percent as good as he is in that movie, that movie doesn't work at all. Yeah, he he's the key to that movie, and obviously yeah, he is crucial. Yeah, and so it's it's arguably the most difficult and remarkable performance of his career. 
And DiCaprio's at the height of his powers as a movie star, too. I mean, I haven't seen The Revenant, but... Yeah, neither have I. It's hard to imagine a movie about a guy getting mauled by a bear and dragging his broken body through the tundra as being (laughs) a smash hit. But that movie has made, I think, close to $200 million worldwide. It has made back its famously enormous over-budget. Yeah, and I just, I don't think that happens without DiCaprio. So No, he's the kind of guy that so many people, and this isn't just Americans, they see DiCaprio and they almost don't, they don't keep going down to the title. They say, oh, DiCaprio's in another movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go see it. And and this this goes to maybe my biggest point about DiCaprio before we before we move on. Um he is he basically and Damon is this way too. Um Daniel Day Lewis is so famous for never making a bad movie, right? He comes off the bench every four years out of whatever hole he crawls into, huh. uh somehow, dis- disappearing from the public uh the public eye. Like nobody seems to be able to. And then he comes back and he makes a great movie. Well, Leo DiCaprio, he's, you know, he's, he's made, he's made Jay Edgar, you know, he's made the beach. He, he doesn't hit every time. I forgot about Jay Edgar. He is never not good in a movie. He is never less than really, really good in a movie. And that's, that's an incredible, he's on an incredible run uh, in that regard. And so that's something that has to be said. I mean, we, we admire Daniel Day-Lewis for picking his spots, but you almost have to look to DiCaprio and say, well, he's doing a very similar thing, but he he's basically releasing a movie every two years. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting, and I think that they're both at their they're both at the top of their game still. I think that they're both going to have very interesting next phases of their career. I'm really interested. Like, um, I mean, Damon's got another Born movie coming out, and it's gonna be interesting because he hasn't been in that role for almost ten years. Yeah, and yet I fully expect him to be good in it. So he's also hurtling headlong into his Clooney phase. That's true. Yeah, but still, still a very even at age forty-five or forty-six, seems to be getting handsomer every year. So yeah, good for him. He's he's hitting the Clooney. Well, well done, Damon. But yeah, so um, before we head out, we're going to end every week with a a little segment off topic. And this week, we're going to start with something we like to call Hear Me Out, which is where basically one of us tries to convince the other to watch, listen, or otherwise buy into something. And to do the honors for our very first podcast, to uh, christen our proverbial boat with a bottle of champagne, or I guess as you could say, our... uh, flaming death car mick is going to try to convince me to watch mad max fury road it's true okay so first of all how dare you because this is an incredible work of cinema and you're cheating yourself by not having seen it yet uh so the story behind this i watched this movie by myself on my couch i've been uber skeptical about this movie just for the people at home to set the scene i i've been very skeptical and and i get a text from mick the other day saying no never mind i get it you have to see this movie yeah yeah because once it was nominated for best picture i don't know why i didn't see it over the summer because i actually thought it looked good but i just never got around to it um and so I was snowed in last weekend and i literally couldn't go outside because there were two feet of snow and like heavy wind and snow so i was like okay i'm gonna watch this movie this will be fun so i throw it on and I just like i turn the lights off in in the living room and put them just like sit on my couch and watch this movie and it is ridiculous like i hate to be i hate to be saying what people have been saying since july 
But I can't believe that this movie got made. And I can't believe that so much of the stunt work was done without special effects. I can't believe that they drove, like, a big truck through the desert and had people hanging off of it. Um, Charlize Theron is fantastic. Um, As she always is. Yeah, and she always is. And I feel like she doesn't always get the roles she deserves. And this was a great use of her talent. Uh, Tom Hardy was very grumbly. <laughs> Again, playing a variation on real life Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, he's out. he's kind of real life Tom Hardy, but he kind of it works really well because Mad Max, like his character, obviously is very tortured. Max Rockatansky. I think yeah, something like that. The kind of name you would only have after the apocalypse. Um, but he doesn't even really need to express that trauma because you can just kind of feel it by looking at him. So it's a very, like, physically interesting performance. What um, do you say to somebody who, like, needs to take a shower after watching the minute-long teaser trailer? Because that's the boat I'm in with this movie. It's just, it's so I, dusty, and there's so much yelling. There is a lot of yelling, and there is a lot of dust. But it's amazing kind of how much you get over both of those things. Like, you'll see things and sets and imagery in this movie that'll kind of freak you out. But after about 10 or 15 minutes, you're just like, oh, okay, this person's face is completely white. And this person has like a creepy oxygen mask. And and you just, it kind of, it's amazing how normal they make it seem. So, um, but anyway, that's my super hot take. The, the movie that was the hit of the summer is a good movie and people like it. And people like it and I like it. And you should like it too. Yeah, nominated for that best picture. Yeah, nominated for that Best Picture, along with our friends Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio. So, uh, yeah, thanks. I will probably end up seeing that, although I never watch movies, so <laughs> I probably will just watch seven more New Girls. Huh. Which, another, yeah. like, hot take from, like, 2010. New Girl, really enjoyable show. I'm sure that will be appearing at some point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening. I'm Steven. That's Mick. We are The One-on-One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at one on one pod that's numeral one on numeral one pod subscribe on soundcloud or itunes if you do listen on itunes give us a little rating it helps us make the show better and and get it out there a little bit and also if you want to tweet at us or put in an itunes review a pairing that you want us to talk about and just so you know we have not seen the twilight movies but we will watch all of them if you really want us to come down on team edward versus team jacob i've actually already decided so it'd be pretty easy for me based on the one and a half twilight movies i've seen but yeah so thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another fresh episode where we discuss uh maybe we talk a little bit super bowl what do you think bro oh yeah sure i um i guess depending on how that game turns out we'll definitely have some fresh uh some fresh debate yeah moment of silence for tom brady's 2015 2016 football game (sighs) matt damon was sad too So yeah, thanks a lot for listening, and uh, we'll catch you later. That's all we got today. Thanks, Obama.
Let me be clear. You should uh, listen to this podcast because it's very high quality.